You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Chris Wallace. He is co-founder of Interview. We're going to talk to him a little bit about his experience in service-based businesses. We're going to talk to him about the work he does with brands, with companies, to make sure they have alignment, critical aspect for service-based companies. Uh, Your people deliver your value. And if your people are not aligned to your brand, it is not going to be the quality, it's not going to be the experience you're trying to deliver. So I'm always fascinated on people that are really focused on strategic brand alignment, brand messaging. How do you get that to really happen inside of the company, create that customer experience? So I'm excited for this conversation. With that, Chris, welcome to the program. Bruce, I appreciate you having me. Yeah. So let's get a little bit of background before we kind of dig into our topics. Tell us what you've been doing. Tell us about your story. How did Interview come along? What was the story for founding that company? How does it relate to your professional experience? Well, it's a long and winding road. Uh, I don't know how, <laughs> how much time you have for the episode, but you know, really what it comes down to is you know, my background has been in sales and marketing with larger brands, you know, larger consumer brands on the consumer goods side, also on the entertainment side. I worked for the PGA Tour early in my career. I worked for um, a number of entertainment brands that are now part of the NBC Universal umbrella that Comcast owns. So I come from a sort of a big brand, big consumer background. And you know, had the opportunity to see where there were strengths, see where there were some gaps. And um, I always call myself an accidental entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. um, I had the opportunity to start a business. There was a, a corporate merger that was going to force me to relocate. My wife and I didn't want to move. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those, well, what if I tried this path that was a little bit more entrepreneurial and um, took the leap at that point. But I never fancied myself somebody who would be an entrepreneur, you know, run my own business. Uh, it's funny because because now I can't imagine it any other way. <laughs> Once you go there, it's hard to go back. I'm never going back. Yeah. But um, but you know, we love working with large organizations. But I, I sort of bring that big company, big brand background, and but I'm able to apply that you know in our work, but also to um, sort of have it trickle down to the way that we build our own small business. Yeah. And so I, let me talk a little bit about that journey because I, I find so many conversations that I have with leaders inside businesses, and and we talk about how they founded their company or how they got into their company, and it's um, it's always kind of the sideways stories. <laughs> I really didn't mean to. It just kind of happened. What were some of the changes I think you had to make or adjustments you had to make as you went from more of a corporate world kind of you know executive management kind of context to really being more kind of entrepreneurial, running your own show? What did you notice was kind of easy? What was hard? What were the adjustments you had to make to be successful in, in that world? So the biggest difference, I have a very, a very distinct answer for this because this became clear to me very early on. The level of accountability when you're out on your own 
every minute, every meeting, every phone call matters yeah. when you're a when you're a, a service provider, not an employee. The level of accountability that you have, you are constantly selling yourself. You are constantly having to deliver value. Everything you do is being scrutinized in a different way. You can't hide. And <laughs> yeah. and there were times where that, there have been plenty of times where that was very difficult. But I found that the the way that that pushes you to find new ways to innovate to to really be like to have that mindset of always finding ways to add value. We've instilled that in the team, you know, in our team of all the companies that we've run. And I can tell you that story a little bit. But every team that we've ever built, there's always been that always bring value. You're yeah. always finding ways. Nobody ever comes back and says, that's not in the statement of work. I don't do that. It's if you can find a way to add value, we are constantly finding ways to um, yeah. to sell ourselves and to show that we add something that they can't get on their own. Yeah, I always I, I love kind of this idea that when you become an entrepreneur, you know, every time you point a finger, it's pointing at you. <laughs> exactly just, right. There's no one else. There's no one else to blame in these situations. Tell us about. I mean, in terms of uh, you know how to find that value, to discover that value, you can deliver. What are some of the strategies or or things that you did that helped you really see where the opportunities were? You know, either in terms of the early stages, getting things going, or as you develop the company, new opportunities for adding value, creating services to really kind of grow the business. What are some of the things that allowed you to do that? So I want to say the downside, but when I talk about, you know, always having to add value, it, it's sort of a, it's sort of a motivation of fear sometimes, right? You really have to be finding ways to add that value. But the really good side of that is when you're a service provider and not an employee, it's such a strange thing, but organizations tend to listen to you a lot more when you're a third party and you have consultant or contractor mm-hmm. on your business card as opposed to employee, and they're willing to listen to you. So so the, when you're an employee, you find the nitpicks and the, the places where you think your organization could be better. And for most organizations, especially large ones, there's really not much you can do about it. And I was always the corporate agitator. I was always the one going with the, the Jerry Maguire-esque mission <laughs> statements of saying, we should try this or we need to improve this. And I was always trying to improve and tinker with things. And it would always fall in deaf ears. And it would always go back to your office yeah. and do your job. Yeah. And the fact that we you can bring that mentality, which I naturally have and the people in our team naturally have, it becomes fun. It becomes like a game to find looking at places where there are gaps, where there are challenges that the people who are in it every day don't necessarily see it. Yeah. A lot of times finding ways to add the value simply just be- comes from having that perspective on, do you realize how big of a gap there is between the way you do this and the way you do that? Mm-hmm. Finding those holes is, you know, you sort of become conditioned to do it. And a lot of times the value comes from identifying those holes. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and I mean, you mentioned bringing in the people. What are some ways, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, you know, successes, failures in terms of, you know, finding the the right talent, finding the right people, finding the right fit for your company. How have you approached that sort of recruiting, talent acquisition, you know, talent retention process to make sure that you're really building the right organization with the right people in it? So we have had tremendous success over the years. I'm going to knock on wood because this could turn on me in any minute, but (laughs) um, the friends, family, referral, close, you know, closely held network sourcing of talent has has served us extremely well. People we've worked with in the past, it's the, we're getting the band back together. We go back to the people that we've always said, you know, if we had the opportunity to work with them again, we take it in a heartbeat. And also taking the people on our team who have those folks in their network who have said, well, I would always want to work with this person, them referring those to us. We've been tremendously successful with that. Um, There's one other thing that in terms of, you know, thinking about scaling up a services business, one of the things that we've had a lot of success with something that we did sort of on a whim a couple of years ago mm-hmm. was we created a job description that's 
at least for the consulting world, pretty edgy. Okay. Um, when we put a job rec out, whether it's on you know the, the online services or through LinkedIn mm-hmm. or even just through the you know referral network and the word of mouth, we have a a job description format that is very much, it's an opt-in or an opt-out. You're either going to read it and say, this is not the place for me, or you're (laughs) going to read it and say, I would run through a wall to be part of an organization like that. We're very clear on, if you come work for us, this is what we're looking for. The first line says, we're looking for people, not resumes. We're looking for, and we sort of expound upon that, but just being very authentic with who you're looking for, who you want to be. I one time had somebody that was referred to us They did not read the job description. And I was sitting there talking with her for about 20 minutes. And I said, did you read our job description? And she said, no. I went and printed one out. I handed it to her across the table. I said, take 10 minutes and read it. I walked back in at those 10 minutes. She slid it back across the table and said, this isn't me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have wasted your time. This isn't me. In a job interview. So being very transparent about who you are as an organization in that description of who you're looking for, what you want, what you truly value, yeah. it's going to weed out a lot of the wrong people and it's going to catch you the right ones. Yeah, and I love that. I mean, I, I love the idea of it's either a hell yes or a hell no, but I don't want anything in between because, you know, honestly, in between, that's where all the problems are, right? And it's like... It's not safe. It's not yeah. It's not a safe job description. It's not a yeah. standard approach. It's definitely, it's meant to be, it's polarizing for a reason. Yeah. And wh- I guess, how did you figure out what you needed to put in there? Like, what was the process by which you could identify those things that you needed to articulate hmm. in the job description to make it you know, decisive that way. When I first broke out on my own, when I started started my first business, a couple years in, we had grown very quickly. We went from two contractors, you know, two 1099s reporting directly to me, to 35 people full-time and contractor in a little over two years. So we grew relatively quickly. We brought on somebody to help us with operations who is a, um, he's an operations guru and he's a big fan of, I'm not sure if you're familiar with mastering the art of the Rockefeller habits. Have you ever read that (laughs) book, Bruce? Yeah, just a few times. (laughs) Okay. So, so Rockefeller habits is something that, that he, that he was big on and he came in and really instilled this idea of North star mission, vision, values, and we were always, we got very sober on what our values were and the yeah. things that we wanted people to be. Yeah. And it's really our organization, everything we do is sort of emanated out from that core since then. Yeah. And this is now our third business that we're working on. We've had the opportunity to build that vision three times. And the funny thing is, it's been different all three times with a lot of the same people. As the, Interesting. As the, huh. It's and, been and so very why different. Is it, why has it changed? I mean, what's, what's kind of your, what's your thinking on, on how that has shifted based on the company as opposed to the people? Well, the first company we started, as most people you know, are doing, we we're sort of making it up as we went along, mm-hmm. right? You, you know, the, the yeah. car's going 100 miles an hour and you're trying to change a tire. Mm-hmm. And we definitely, for that organization, for what we were trying to be, we got the mission, vision, values right. But what happened was we ended up merging that business, you know, selling that business to to another firm. Mm-hmm. And we went in there and that organization had rolled up a bunch of smaller uh, professional services companies. Mm-hmm. It was a roll up from the start. It wasn't designed to be an organic growth. They rolled it up and then wanted to organically grow mm-hmm. after acquisition. So they needed to establish, they took four companies and had to establish one company culture out mm-hmm. of four out of four individual pieces, mm-hmm. which is tremendously difficult, but we were very active in that process. And then when we decided, you know, the direction of that organization wasn't the permanent spot for us, mm-hmm. we were able to take seven, eight years of experience and identifying what the market need was. And with interview, the market need has really driven everything. We were able to say, 
This is what we've seen on the ground. This is what we've heard from salespeople. This is what we've heard from marketing execs. And we really identified something that we thought was, was a glaring need. And the market opportunity has driven so much from our brand voice and tone to the mission, vision, values. Everything was very closely aligned to the market opportunity that we saw. So the first time, it was much more about our personalities. And this time around, it really has been about the market need and the market opportunity. Yeah, fascinating. And as you've, I mean, talk to me about the strategy a little bit, because it sounds like you really identified kind of a niche in the market or an angle. How did you find your kind of that positioning in the market that you knew that was going to be successful? Tell me a little bit about how that unfolded. How did you sort of decide that? How did your team work on it? What was that process like? Yeah, so my business partner and I, who we've worked, you know, we've been together, you know, all three, sort of all three iterations of our professional services careers here and entrepreneurial careers. Yeah. We took, when we left the organization that we had merged with, the entire earth moved from out, out from underneath our feet. We went from having this path, having our team, to the two of us decided to leave. Mm-hmm. And we had no idea what was next. We weren't getting paychecks. We didn't have any clients. We basically took this leap of faith back into the void, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And we really took time to sit and talk and whiteboard and really go back over. And a lot of it came down to where did we have the most fun? (laughs) Who did we like working with? Where did we add the most value? And what ended up happening was we ended up getting branded as, as sort of a sales effectiveness company, a sales effectiveness firm. Mm -hmm. And we started looking at where we were having success and we're like, it wasn't really on the the sales training or or the new age of sales training called sales effectiveness. Mm -hmm. It really was working with marketers. It was helping them bring things to market through their organization, through the internal channels of their organization. They they have plenty of money to do advertising and product launches and and all the, the customer awareness type stuff and the demand generation. But where they were really struggling was that internal path to market. How do we get the people who answer our phones, the people who staff our retail stores, how do we get them to sort of back this up? It was always the execution that was the fall down, not the strategy around the product or the the service or whatever it was. It wasn't the brand was flawed. It was idea of executing on brand has always lived in sort of this external marketing concept. Mm -hmm. But but executing brand is such an internal day in day out blocking and tackling thing. And that was what we really came back to was this idea of brand can't live externally. Brand has to sort of emanate from the inside of the company out that requires the people to be on board and be ambassadors for that brand. The way the Patagonias are in the Southwest's and all the companies you read about in case studies. So we looked at it and said, the market opportunity here really is to work with the marketers to help them bring their brand, their products, their services to market in a more effective, aligned way, not necessarily going in and doing sales skills training because that's never what we wanted to do in the first place. So it was a lot of soul searching about what worked, what didn't, and who we liked working with. And it really came back to where did we have the most success? And it was always working with the marketing teams to bring something to market. Yeah. And tell me about the sort of the validation or the research process that once you kind of had that realization, you had that idea of, hey, I think we can really create value by focusing on this. How did you go to market in terms of, you know, getting your initial customers, you know, figuring out how to kind of adjust and evolve the work that you were doing to meet their needs better. Tell us a little bit about that journey. This is the best examination of my business that I've ever been through, by the way. Your questions are excellent. (laughs) Honestly, Bruce, it's going to test whether or not the decisions and the twists and turns we've made have been the right (laughs) ones. Exactly. um, But this is what I would say. So we actually did, early on, we did some market validation research. Mm -hmm. We had a partner that we worked with who has sort of 
come into another chapter of our evolution as well. But we worked with them to basically say, our core question has always been for a marketer, how confident are you that the people who represent your brand Mm -hmm. can tell your brand story consistently and confidently, right? How confident are you that they can tell that story the way you built it? And when you ask that question, we always say that's our gut punch question. And when you ask them that question, we get a mix of laughter, head scratching, like you got to be joking me, right? Like no confidence. (laughs) But we actually did some market validation research on that. And we got marketing executives to reply to a study. And they said, this type of focus, this falls into the, I really need this. It's not burning the hottest on my desk. I've got other high priorities, Mm -hmm. but I know I need it. And I believe the payoff of it would be really high. So we decided we were going to take on this it's not your highest priority. We always joke, it's, this is not the acute pain, it's the, it's the chronic pain. Yeah. This is that shoulder that's been bugging you that you know you need to get around to. It's not the, the broken arm. It's not mm-hmm. the broken foot. Yeah. It's the thing that you know you should get around to. And we make a very compelling proposition as to why it's worth addressing now. And we focus on some of those more drive time type things like launches, customer experience initiatives to sort of attach ourselves to that work. But the market validation came from, as most things, having a lot of conversations. Yeah. Once we had the confidence from the study that we did, we took some of those stats and we went out and we started having conversations, but we always came back to that one question. Everybody we talked to, we asked them, how confident are you that the people who represent your brand can represent that story the way you built it? And that has been our North Star. And every time we ask that, we get validation of our business model. So it's been a lot of conversations, but you know, I would say we're, we're sort of a, I'm not going to say we came out of the shoot with the right position because it took us seven and a half years to get <laughs> to this point. We had the, the opportunity to sort of do the reboot, but um, we feel like this time around, we've really hit it. We've hit it right. We've struck a nerve. Yeah. And so how do you actually do this work? Because I, I mean, I conceptually, I get the idea that, hey, look, if you're going to have successful brand, if you're going to deliver a successful customer experience, you need to look at all touch points. You need to look at all people involved that actually interfacing or creating an experience for the customer. And they need to be, you know, not only have the the tools they need, but they really need to understand at a deeper level what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it so they can make better decisions. But how do you, I guess, what does that process look like? How do you map this out? How do you really kind of prioritize? What is the work that you do? How does it structure? The best thing that we've done with this organization is the same firm that helped us do the market research and the validation for our business. We worked with them to develop, they're they're a market research, a a customer insights firm. Mm -hmm. And they had a process that they went through and, you know, to gather voice of the customer data. And we said, okay, you gather, you gather attitudes and perceptions from customers about the brand. And we said, why couldn't we take the same mechanism and gather the attitudes and perceptions of the people who talk to the customers? Yeah. So if, yeah. if you want to understand what that conversation is likely to sound like, well, just at, you ask customers what they think, ask the people who talk to the customers what they think. So we took this concept of actually not doing employee surveying, but actually doing internal market research, yeah. going to the people who, who rep the products, who have to tell the story every day and analyzing what they think. And what we did was, rather than just gathering their point of view, we gather their point of view, and then we gather the corporate marketing team. That We call them the brand architects. We take all the people who are, are part of building that brand story. They become sort of our control group. And we ask them all the same questions and they rate their brand on various characteristics. And then we do a statistical comparison of where they're aligned or misaligned. So where do the people who are buying all the ads who are spending, our largest client spends hundreds of millions of dollars on advertising, mm-hmm. hundreds of millions how can we come back to them and say, you know, if we ask them how confident they are that the, the story is getting told consistently, this now gives us data to say, you have spent money in the marketplace to tell customers you are this, this, and this, but that's not what your employees, the people who represent you, think. 
right? Yeah. Your retail channel thinks you're this. Your call center channel thinks you're that. And we're able to come back to them with this view of what the employee thinks of them. And what it does is it gives us data, just like any good marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. You do marketing research, you do market research, you come back with data, and you build your messaging, you build your strategy. It really comes down to influence. We want to influence these people to see things in a little bit different way. Most organizations take the compliance route. It's the yeah. train them, put them on pips if they yeah. don't perform. Policies, they don't say the manuals, right. yeah. It's all a compliance mechanism. And the biggest difference between what we do and what the typical model is, we go in and say, this is an audience to be influenced and won over, not an audience to be forced into compliance. And as soon as they sort of make that mental flip, which isn't that big of a leap, and we start running it like a marketing campaign instead of a training exercise, that's where we can get very creative. A great example is we did the tool that we use that we've developed is called the brand transfer score and the brand transfer study. Mm -hmm. And again, we analyze where they're aligned and misaligned. And we did one for a major manufacturing company, publicly traded industry leader, and they had a sales team that came back and said, please no more webinars. We are driving around every day. You get these product owners, you get the product GM, and they want to tell you how great their product is. And they take us off the street. We want to be out in our vehicles, out seeing our dealers, out seeing our customers. And so all we did was we heard them. We took the messaging that was misaligned and we built a podcast series for them. So now they drive around from appointment to appointment and they're able to listen to a podcast that is programmed around the things that they told us they needed. And we're now able to get those messages to them in a way that they want to consume it as Mm -hmm. opposed to being force fed down their throat. And you catch more flies with honey, right? That's our whole approach. I love it. I love it. So for listeners of the podcast, you know, that are in these service companies, leaders in these service companies, they're trying to figure out how to grow and scale. I think this, how to deliver, how to make sure that your your team, your employees, your staff is really aligned and bought into the value to deliver, the position you want to create, the experience you want to have your customers to have. What are some of the techniques that you can suggest to them or questions that you suggest they start asking in terms of how to start moving down this path? I mean, the scaling process is notoriously hard in service businesses because, you know, as you start adding people, it's the communication starts to break down or it gets yep. more complicated. Like, what are some of the things that you can do to start systematizing some of this in service businesses? Yeah, so on a broad level, I would say, i uh, you that t- say the same thing that we, that we do for some of our large consumer clients, mm-hmm. which is regular, structured, systematic feedback from, from your people. Yeah. I'm not talking about every once in a while you send a survey monkey up. I'm talking about a structured approach to gathering feedback from people, especially the ones who talk to your customers. Typically, what we are doing is we're sort of isolating the different value points that make that company unique. If an organization feels like they have those and they have a strong value proposition, they should be asking their people to rate their organization on that constantly. The best we've ever seen at this, I'll actually call them out by name, they're not a client, but the best we've ever seen is Rogers Communications up in Canada. Mm, They're the largest cable and and wireless provider in the country of Canada. And they have a team that does nothing but gather weekly input from the frontline teams. It's called Voice of the Frontlines. They gather this information maniacally. They get that point of view They go back to all their sales channel leaders and they tell them, this is what the people in your channel think of you. If they don't think that we are best in class, well, we've got to do something to make sure that they do believe that they're best in class. That idea of believing in it is so important. You have to influence people to believe, especially running a small business. If they don't believe in it, if they're going through the motions, you're going to have a very hard time. So isolating what those, being really 
diligent about isolating what the value proposition is. That's what we did, you know, this iteration with interview. And that's why I think that the market validation has sort of followed our value proposition is because we were so crisp and tight with what that value was early on. So organizations have to do that. You have to start with that value proposition and you have to stick to it. If you're trying to be all things to all people or you're trying to sell it 15 different ways, that's where you really have the problem. You can always expand out later add lines of business, add different things to your, to your repertoire, but really starting, the phrase I use is the thing you would do for free, the thing that you are so good at and are so passionate about that you would do it whether or not people paid you for it. Uh, Find that thing yeah. is that you would do for free and sort of build out from that value that you know you could bring that's, in our opinion, that's the best way to start. Yeah, you know that choosing a, a strategic focus is always so hard for companies in general, but particularly service companies. And it's, I think, part of the challenge is people think that this is okay. Well, if I, I don't want to focus on this customer because I have so many opportunities, and I always say that, look, it doesn't mean we're not going to take money from other people. Right? We're not, we're not going to say no to the to business, but we have to go out with an intention and a strategy and a messaging around, you know, our communications, but also around our, our services we're delivering to a particular group, to a particular segment of the market that has a particular need. And then, yeah, we can evolve it or we can always you know, expand it or we will attract other people around that. But without that, we're kind of, we're, you know, we're trying to be everything to anybody. And that just doesn't, it's not a compelling offering. And unfortunately, it's not going to be a very financially rewarding position to take in the market. The tipping point, Bruce, honestly, what you just said, the tipping point for any person trying to scale a services business, you know you can scale the day that you say no to a piece of business. Mm. Ooh, the, day, like the day you say, no, we don't do that. The yeah. day you have the discipline to say, you know, and what we do as an organization is we go back to our mission statement. We've literally done this. Mm-hmm. We go back to our mission statement and we say, does that help us inspire a sense of belief, confidence, and pride in the promises a brand makes to its customers? That's mm-hmm. our mission statement. And we did this last year. And I said this to my business partner. We had a, um, one of our clients asked us to reply to an RFP. And it was a little bit outside of our wheelhouse. And I said, does this further our mission? And they said, no. And we turned it down. It turns out it would have been a multi-year, multi-million dollar piece of Mm. business, which was a detail they did not share with me. But um, (laughs) the day that you say no to a piece of business or an opportunity like that is the day that you know you can scale because you've got the focus to be able to move something quickly. Yeah, no, I love that test. And and I just see that so often is that companies will struggle and struggle with that and they'll finally start to do it. And then fairly quickly, like, damn, we should have done this sooner. Because <laughs> it just makes everything else so easier. Like, you, it's easier to communicate. It's easier to hire people. You, you now can systematize your delivery model. Like, all these things start to happen once you choose that strategic focus. But yet, it's hard. And a lot of, a lot of folks don't do it. Very challenging, yes. Yeah. So what are some of the other ways? Like, once you do the survey or you, you collect data from your people, you identify those kind of gaps between what your purpose is, what your mission is, what you're trying to do, what your positioning is and what people are kind of thinking and feeling, how do you start to course correct some of this stuff for a company that's you know in the five to 25 million range and they're trying to grow? What's available and what's practical for a company in that size? Yeah, I mean, I think in that size, I really look at it and say, I'm going to go back to what I said about the sort of the mental flip that you have to make. As mm-hmm. soon as you start looking at the people who represent your brand, represent your your company as an audience to be influenced and won over, not as ones to be forced into compliance. The tactics and opportunities and options you have to reach them, it grows exponentially. Yeah. The tried and true, put it on a 
a LMS system and they, they, they go through a, a remote training or they go through a web-based training or something like that. Yeah, those tools are available to us and they're great. The one sheets, the PowerPoint trainings, all that stuff, people have to be honest with themselves and say, if I were on the other side of this, would I want to be sitting through this? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Put it, put yourself, would I pay for this? Right. That's a great standard is, would I pay to have somebody do this? Yeah. We truly believe that if you set the bar at a level of, you know, delivering content and experiences that people would pay for as consumers, only you deliver to them as employees, that's where we think you're going to make real connections with people. And that's where the podcast example, you know, comes in. Yeah. Think about that. You know how much a podcast costs? Nothing. Yeah. It costs <laughs> yeah, exactly. literally know. <laughs> nothing. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't cost any, I mean, in most cases, all you have to do is have a smartphone and, and a computer to be able to download the file to it. I mean, yeah. it's not tremendously difficult, but it requires that, that change in mentality from I need these people to comply to I want these people to choose to opt into the path that we're going. And the, the other tactics that we, we've talked about, you know, we, we truly believe in looking at it from that consumer perspective, but we've done anything from, I'll give you a great example, a company that we're, we're about to do a launch with, they have a, a product that had had some operational challenges. Mm-hmm. And they basically said, we need to win the favor of our salespeople back. We've lost their faith. We need to win their faith back. And what they typically would have done is a training and an ebook, an e-guide and all those types mm-hmm. of things or catalog, whatever the case may be. And we said, but you've got to bring this story to life in a different way. So what normally would have been some sort of an ebook or e-guide, we've turned into a graphic novel series. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to take the people that work back in their factory and the ones that are working to improve the operations things, and we're turning them into superheroes. And there's going to be this narrative where they get different issues over a period of time. We're creating posters, trading cards, all sorts of things to sort of bring this story to life and to force them to consume it in a different way, to consume it in the way they would consume something that they want to consume to the point where they're like, I wonder what's going to happen in the next issue. I wonder when the trading card is, we're going to have the salespeople eventually, the ones that embrace the story and go sell it, they're going to be added to the trading card series. So I want to earn the opportunity to have my face, you know, as a superhero on a trading card. So yes, it's, I don't know if hokey is the right word, but it's just a different way of approaching it. And we're looking at popular trends and reaching consumers and trying to apply those inside businesses. None of those things are terribly expensive. They require some thought and they require that mentality of get them to choose to opt in, not force them to comply. Yeah. And I think that's a perfect message for this group is just thinking about what do they want to hear? How do they want to hear it? You know, think of them as a customer, not an employee. And that will start really putting you down the right path. I think it's an excellent, excellent approach to this. This has been great. Chris, if people want to find out more about you, more about interview, what's the best way to get that information? So website for the company is interviewgroup.com. And I want to be clear, it's mm-hmm. I-N-N-E-R. We're big on plays on words. So <laughs> interview, not interviewing a candidate, but I-N-N-E-R, like looking to the inner, you know, the interview of the company. Uh-huh interviewgroup.com. And then to find me, the best place is LinkedIn, very active on LinkedIn. I'm Chris Wallace in Philadelphia. As you can imagine, I'm not the only Chris Wallace on LinkedIn. We are plentiful. It's a brotherhood of yeah, Chris exactly. Wallace's. You've got your own LinkedIn group. Um, we should, that's actually not a bad idea. But Chris Wallace in Philadelphia, and you'll obviously see the interview group interview group logo and, and information on there. But uh, Philadelphia is where I reside and where our company headquarters is. So that's the best place to contact me directly. Great. I'll make sure that both of those links are in the show notes so people can click through and, and get that information. Great. I appreciate that. Chris, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for 
taking the time today. Great conversation, great insights, and I really appreciate it. Thanks for prying so deep. You did a great job, Bruce. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.